Shout out to my phone, my poor phone that only has 64 gigabytes of uh, memory, but I'm, I am I think I'm somewhere in the neighborhood of about 60, I'm pushing about 68 right now as it's uh, giving me nav directions, it's giving me Rams, Bucks, highlights for the NFC Divisional game, it's uh, updating my courier gig, it's report. Uh, it's recording this podcast, and it's fucking, uh, it's, I think it's on the brink of suicide. So every game in the divisional playoff, oh, yeah, every the well, first three games were decided by the away team's kicker. Each team, so when the Bengals beat the Titans, the Bengals kicker kicked it against the Titans in Tennessee to win. Then. Robbie Gould kicked the field goal in Green Bay for the Niners to beat the pack, which was just ridiculously stupid. And then... And then Gay hit the game winner in overtime for the Rams in Tampa Bay. That's crazy. And then... The game of all games, though, this is an instant classic. Is it, how many how many times is it going to happen? These guys are going to face off. You talk about Chiefs Bills are insane. These matchups are insane. They're just titanic. They're like back in the day in like '94 when Marino and Bledsoe went at it. And they both threw for 450 yards, and or like a couple years ago when. Um, Mahomes went against uh, Jared Goff, Rams, Chiefs. I mean, I thought those were the two guys that were going to lock horns for, uh, you know, historically speaking, each year until until Goff went to Detroit and uh, Stafford came to L.A. And now it's going to be Niners-Rams, NFC Championship? Holy shit. And then do we really know? I mean, come on. So it's going to be Chiefs, Bengals. Do we already know kind of who's going to win? I think we could probably be pretty safe in choosing. I mean, not, and I like the Bengals. I do. I like the Chiefs, but this game was insane. This was like, this was probably the Super Bowl that we just watched, I guess, the Bills-Chiefs, because what, with like, on 4th and 13, Josh Allen, our boy from Firebox, connects with... Gabriel Davis on 4th and 13 to go up by 3 and then Mahomes just answers back with a 65 year 65 yard strike to Tyreek Hill to go up by 4 and then and then Allen and then our boy from University of Wyoming in Firebaugh, California marches down the field and uh What did he, what, and then he, and then he comes back with another, like with 13 seconds left, he hits Gabriel Davis again. Gabriel Davis has like four, we just saw the most reception, TD receptions by an NFL receiver in history with Gabriel Davis. He had four. And with 13 seconds, fucking Mahomes just marches down the field, sets up in. 13 seconds marches down the field and sets up for a 49-yard field goal. That was clutch. That was balls. That was that was tits, but man. So it goes overtime and Mahomes just goes to work and just carves him up. That was insane. So you mean to tell me the Bengals have a chance next week? I don't think so. So we got Rams Niners. Rams historically are 0-4, I think, in their last four meetings. So, is it going to be Niners, Chiefs again? Oh, my God. So, anyway, I'm sitting at Sacramento Municipal Airport, sitting out on the 
the endless wasteland of the tarmac, just looking like uh, Ray Liotta sitting out there waiting to do the waiting to do the Lufthansa heist in Goodfellas, because my idiot dispatch had their head up their ass and decided to sh- snow shovel about nine jobs my way in, in the course of the first ten minutes of the morning. Got me going at eight thirty. Got my first call for three jobs at eight thirty in the morning. On the and then twenty minutes out the door. On the way to the office to pick up the gear. This box that has to have some kind of. Co- they're like COVID swabs that are going in there from a private residence. Okay, so I'm I gotta go get dry ice. And I gotta get this box. So twenty minutes out the door, almost to the office. Hey, I got two more jobs for you. All right, slow the fuck down, crackhead. Then when I'm sitting in the office, putting the paperwork together, hey, they just keep coming in. Look, bitch. Slow the fuck down. I mean, Jesus. So it was the first job of the whole day and I end up going out to some demilitarized zone off Franklin Boulevard around the corner where they have like this wrought iron gate with those kind of like spikes at the top and the front gate's locked because uh, well it's in the ghetto and nobody's got a contact number this lady because I'm an hour early and I'm here to get her COVID swabs so I'm waiting for the courier company to contact her or contact my dispatch so that they can contact them or at least to contact me so that I can contact them and I'm waiting I finally just go on the internet I find her number on the internet I call her oh I didn't realize it was today she said oh go fuck yourself are you serious these guys in dispatch man they just did so much fucking blow in the 80s that their brain stems kind of at started to atrophy so so that was my day. So I ended up at the airport waiting on a couple of, uh, let's see, some something for, I was picking up something from United for uh, the CT imaging at uh, Kaiser Sacramento. So probably something radioactive. Not the first time I've had radioactive gear in my car, in my trunk. And... Uh, Took me forever waiting for this shit, though. But that's all right. Got me amped. Got me amped. Got me going. But uh, I didn't get to see the first game, but I watched the highlights. So my phone's just kind of overloading. It's just kind of like, it's it's like, it's kind of warming up, you know, like, uh, kind of like, you know, your uncle's plate that he has in his head when he gets too close to the microwave. And then you start, you know, <laughs> when you turn the microwave on and he pisses his pants and doesn't remember who who he is, yeah, the phone got that warm, because I'm running like nav all over God's green earth around here, and uh, then I'm getting highlights from the Rams-Bucks game, and then uh, I'm trying to, rec- uh, oh yeah, I was recording earlier, waiting uh, waiting at the airport in between the Lufthansa heist and uh, picking up the CT imaging equipment, and then uh Another box from Southwest, and then what else? And that oh yeah, and then something for Union Pacific of, of of all things. So, so I finally, uh, I, I'm I'm telling you, man, it's it's Sundays are kind of a crapshoot with this crackhead we got in dispatch. So, I don't know. I'm I'm making other plans. Maybe next well, not maybe not next Sunday because I, it's a roll of the dice, you know. Weekend before last was fine. I knocked out a couple of jobs at the airport. Um, dropped off some uh, donated eyeballs. And uh, Bob your uncle. That was a wrap. So, but anyways, this was an epic game. Epic shit. All in all, it was a pretty good little stretch through this last few days. Um, so, I wanted to... I wanted to kind of... Mm, back up and review what I picked. I, I forgot what I, I... I figured the Packers were going to just fucking push the Niners shit right in. Just just push. Just fucking... Just skullfuck them, really. You know what I mean? And 
just like that, just anticlimactically, Rodgers just lays an egg. With four, with four minutes and 40 seconds left, he goes three and out. That's how you're going to end? That's, that's your swan song? That's the end of your career in Green Bay? I mean, come on, man. You know? I had your back when you were all unvaccinated and shit. And you pull this part, this Bush League bullshit? Good Lord. So that was a bitch. But I got to see that game. I, I missed the... Uh, I missed the Bengals and the uh, Titans. But I hadn't I didn't picked that one either. I figured the Titans were going to beat them, not by much. Matter of fact, all the spreads were uh, pretty much on spot. Um, it was a six, I think it was like a six and a half point. They were given the Niners six and a half. And what was the final, like 23-17 or something? Uh, and then Titans, Bengals, that was like two and a half. So was the Rams, Bucks, that was two and a half. They, they picked them all. What's weird is though the, the visiting kicker won it in each game, except for this shootout, which I knew was going to happen, this prison rules street fight breaking out. And man, you, there was 25 points scored in the last two minutes. That's, in, that's insane. And then Gabriel Davis has four TDs, four receiving TDs. I mean, Josh... Allen did everything he could. He threw the kitchen sink at this team. And I'm, I'm telling you, though, it's hard to steal one in Arrowhead. So I, this was the only, I think this is the only one. I, I, I figured the Rams are going to probably probably win, even though Brady's the man. I mean, the guy figured out how to win. He tied it up. They were down, what, 20 to 3? They were down, yeah, they were down 17 at one point. And then he ties it up at 27. And then over time, well, that was a wrap, man. So, but I kind of, I figured, I don't know. The Rams are, fuck, they're, that's a tough defense, man. Aaron Donald will, he will rearrange your nose. He will put your nose on the other side of your face. That's, matter of fact, that's his goal. Every, every snap is to separate the quarterback's head from his body. And he's just the guy to do it. So all, man, what a bunch of games! Um, I just caught the last few seconds of that overtime win by the Rams. I didn't see any of the Titans game. I caught most, if not all, of the Packer game. Just what a letdown! Like Jimmy G, just doesn't he doesn't. I mean, I like Jimmy G, but he he's not gonna bust out five hundred yards, you know, like I'm. Like, like in those big duels that you got to step up, you know, and start just, you know, like Bills can beat probably all those other teams. Bills can beat the Niners. Sure. I mean, they just can't beat the Chiefs. And it's going to be that. Those two guys are going to be there for a while. Back and forth. You got, you got the bumpkin from Fireball by way of University of Wyoming. And you got the $500 million man, Mahomes. Nasty stuff. Nasty. Okay, so this is so weird, but I was with my lady last night. We had a date night, which, I don't know, I guess I'm a subscriber now. Now that I'm in my 50s, it's cool to be old and white on date night. That's what old white people do, is they go on date night, you know? And uh, anyway, I took her up to this place called Poor Reds, which is a basically like a landmark. It's like a weird uh, throwback to a strange age in cuisine when it was, you know, it was it was a concept without it being a concept and. But in essence, what it really is, is a little rib house that you drove out of your way for, which all the good restaurants do. If you, you know, the, the, the three-star Michelin restaurants, the third star means figure out whatever it takes to get to that place, however remote it is, you know, i.e. the French laundry and so forth. One star is like, try this place. Two stars is like, you really got to try this place. And three stars is fucking find this place even if it's in another state, but, so, Poor Reds is about 45 minutes from where we're, it's up in the foothills, it's kind of in the militia country, 
it's kind of like where the state of Jefferson where they don't pay taxes and shit and they wear Punisher, you know, decals on their lifted trucks and shit. But that's cool. So, but this place, I remember going to this place when I was like 10. My parents dragged me there. And I, for the life of me, I, it was, I had this recollection that it was in some thicket of the foothills, like in some strange, weird, and, and I, I wasn't too far off in some remote area, but it was really, it, it's in this little town of El Dorado, which is kind of sandwiched in between Placerville and, uh, uh, Placerville and Placerville. <laughs> and it's wedged in the side of a mountain and it looks like an old, like Pony Express, Wells Fargo outpost. And my recollection when I, and I swear I was probably, I was probably like 10 years old when, when I went to 10, maybe 11, maybe. So we're talking 40, 40 years ago, four decades ago. Right. And so I told my lady, I said, uh, you know, have an open mind because this is one of those throwbacks, right? Like the, my recollection of the dining room is just literally like a 10 by 10, like a, like a hundred square foot, little nondescript room, just a simple little room with crappy stick on linoleum flooring and big cobblestone walls that enclose you in the only access in or out is the door to the kitchen or the door to get into the room from the giant bar. Because when you walk in, you see a big oblong elevated bar. And at the bar, they serve these famous drinks called the Gold Cadillacs. They're still serving them. Uh, we did not partake. Um, and then their currency that they... Beep! So, sorry, I had to do a little editing. Got a phone call. I was so rudely interrupted by these slave drivers that I contract for. But I, so the uniqueness of the place though, is the currency is, uh, at the bar when I was younger. And when I was young, when I was 10 or 11, this place had been there for four, probably four decades. And, uh, so what happened was we went in, okay, the current, they, they used to have Susan B. Anthony coins, dollar coins, that limited release currency they came out with in like 79, that's about the size of a quarter. And when you're drunk enough on gold Cadillacs, you think it's a quarter and you start tipping in quarters when you're in all actuality tipping in dollars. So then, um, but one unique, and it's, and it's kind of a quirky little place, but nevertheless, it was, uh, one of the other quirks was they, back in the day, did not offer seasoning for your uh, potato. So if you wanted anything other than uh, a, bland, a, you know, a bare potato, you had to pick up the spices on the way in. So there's a sh little general store next door on the little main drag of where this little country in this mountain pass of this little road where it's located is there's a, there's a general store where you'd go and you pick up like, uh, you know, seasoning and, uh, uh, I don't, you know, an onion or spices. What the hell? I guess, you know, I vaguely, vaguely recollect that now. So, so I said, I said, keep an open mind when we go in there. It's one of those quirky places that is, it, it's very low on aesthetics, which is great because if the place isn't concerned with aesthetics, you know, the food's great. And back in the day, not only was it known for its drinks, but it was also known for its, uh, ribs. So we get in there, the bar is still there. There's just a couple of people kind of, it's Thursday night, a couple of rednecks sitting up there, you know? And, um, but in the back, they've added on, they've renovated and opened up the dining room or they've, they've kind of subdivided it. So there's an extra dining room, which is more modernized, but the, but we sat in the original, uh, dining room, which is like I say, a 10 by 10, there's about six tables and, uh, they, and you're surrounded by a wall of cobblestones and, uh, 
to which they've cut into uh, the one side to gain an access into the new dining room, which wasn't much bigger. It's probably a third the size bigger. It's probably like a 15 by 30. But uh, anyway, food was all right. The ribs was the ribs were good, not great. Uh, my lady got a New York steak. It was a little tough. She uh, she mentioned you know the toughness of it, and they, you know, uh, the 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 girl that was helping us was really nice, and uh, got the manager and brought him out, and he had, you know, he had like some of those. Uh, what do you call those things in your earlobes? Where like, you know, you look like you're kind of joining the Nandi tribe of Kenya. So your earlobes are like the size of like a uh, head gasket. Well, anyway, this guy's probably done a little meth, but he was a real nice guy. And he actually uh, took the steak back, got her a, you know, a, a proper, like really, really good steak. I elected not to eat it because I, I don't know, I got a weird paranoia about them just you know clean their cleaning their chassis you know uh cleaning their the undercarriage of their ball sack and their taint with uh, the or you know the <laughs> the food that they're bringing out for you after you complain right they offered to give us a free um dessert so we got a piece of chocolate cake and then a new steak and i thought i thought nah that's got that's probably got pubic hair all over it so i'm gonna pass but uh anyway so, long story short, it was good. It was good to revisit the place. It was an enjoyable evening. It was a bit of a drive. So, in the future, it's probably you know you're gonna really gotta want ribs and a unique kind of uh, doomsday prepper setting to enjoy. But nevertheless, when we were sitting there though, we were yapping about. Um, Oh, so my lady is just trying to hold off on drinking, right? And I, I elected not to drink as well. And, uh, you know, she said, you can go ahead and drink. I said, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm fine. I don't, I don't really need anything. And, and uh, somehow we got on the topic of like, uh, oh, all, just all the damage it had done in, in the, in the, personally to my body in the past from the days of drinking and uh how i don't need it i have absolutely no desire to you know torment my liver anymore so because back in the day like i say i used to i, I you know i recalled you know when we had our parties at the at my apartment in college you know like i'd spend you know more than once I'd, I'd have had an evening where I was, at, you know, you'd end the evening dancing around in your underwear with a motorcycle helmet on and, and clutching a full bottle of Bacardi rum. And, uh, but the next day, being the runner that we, you know, I was still running, you know, you'd get up and you felt like, you know, like there was a, like a rodent in your brain trying to break free like on a wheel like on a hamster just kind of like just gnawing his way through your skull like you just wanted to die but then we'd go on like a 12 mile run and it'd be gone boom it'd be great but but i you know that that story led to the you know just the explanation that you can't you know the the longevity of that is impossible to do that to keep doing that to be a to be a drinker and a runner is very hard it's very taxing on your body and it got me talking about this guy, Henry Rono. And Rono was a guy I'd mentioned many podcasts ago. And he was, in 1978, he was untouchable. He was a Kenyan that was part of this pipeline that Washington State used to bring in African runners to because Washington state was an agricultural school and the villagers of the Kenyan tribes could use the skills and return for running on, you know, getting scholarships to run on the, because these guys were born to run, you know, these guys were born at elevation. They probably ran everywhere in Kenya. And so lo and behold, 
Well, the story is this, that basically, um, I, I found this article that kind of encapsulated kind of his, his deal. And what it was, was, uh, he, okay. So here was a Nandy tribesman whose two bottom teeth were wrenched out ritually when he was 10, same age I was when I probably went to poor reds, right? They were in that tribe though, the Nandies, they knocked the bottom two teeth out in the event of lockjaw. I guess that's a prevalent thing in these villages. And uh, so Rono ran to school barefoot through the lush grasses and thick forests of Kenya's Rift Valley. And when it came to carbo-loading, he eschewed the pre-race pasta supper that my running cohorts and I held as sacrosanct. Instead, he opted for ugali, a traditional Kenyan cornmeal mush. He was magical and he was also theatrical. And at one race, the 1970 NCAA steeplechase finals, he enacted a little performance art, sprinting the straightaways and jogging the turns as he flew on to victory. I remember reading about that, which is insane. You're just toying with your competition. Later, even with a growing beer gut from the alcohol he was regularly consuming, Rono took on Alberto Salazar, the great American distance runner, former University of Oregon great, and uh, Olympic runner, as well as the coach to Galen Rupp, in a 10,000-meter invitational, the two had competed often in college. Matter of fact, Salazar was the only guy to beat Rono in college, um, keeping him from a fourth NCAA championships in cross-country. He edged him out. Uh, and in a closely fought duel on Oregon turf, Hayward Field, the track stadium in Eugene, Rono nipped Salazar at the tape by the breadth of his jiggling belly, which is, that's kind of... Uh, less than, less than, uh, <laughs> flattering description, but, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Steve Cram, the British middle distance star who used to be the world record holder in the mile was one of the first elite runners to notice Rono's growth, growing girth in the spring of 1981 Cram spied him wheezing along a mountain road in Boulder, Colorado, looking 20 or 30 pounds overweight, which is interesting. Wow. Cram trotted over to Chad and in an earnest tones, Rono told him, this summer I'm going to break the world record for 5,000 meters, which was his own record that he set three years earlier. It was a bit weird, Cram told me recently. Early that season, Rono had predictably, was predictably a very slow-moving vehicle. In one 5,000 race, he ran two minutes slower than his world record of 13.08, Still, he kept competing on the European circuit that summer. Finally, in September 1981 in Narvik, Norway, Rono made good on his prediction, running with no real competition, but after a night of heavy drinking, he eclipsed the record by more than two seconds, finishing in 13.06. Thank God the track was round, he would later tell his one-time agent, Tracy Sundland. My head was spinning, and I was just trying to keep up with it. Henry Rono's drinking, though, has never been that funny a topic for it is rooted in a deep alienation when he first came to the united states in 1976 to run for washington state and settle in arid lily white pullman washington there were few locals with whom rono could chat in kenyan swahili his fellow students were typically earnest four square americans into football and deer hunting and the high rectilinear buildings seemed he would later say, unfriendly, rectilinear, boy, that's a overly exuberant way to describe a building. Uh, I felt like a fish brought out of the ocean into the desert, and the feeling of that fish is cold. Rona developed an ulcer, worrying, feeling out of place. He drank. He drank to feel warm, to face people. I would drink whenever I needed it. Beer became like food for me. I'd just drink until I was full, until the bars closed. Once he crashed into a campus fence and then sat in his dorm room brooding as a policeman chastised him, you have a problem with alcohol. By 1983, Rono was living in Eugene and struggling to maintain his elite status. Now, I, uh, I ran a race against him in Oregon and Willamette 
uh, a five mile cross country race. I don't know if I can't remember if I beat him or if he beat me, but that was 89. So for a time in the mid eighties, he did return to Kenya living both in uh, Nairobi and on a farm. Eventually moved back to the United States and every so often showed up at races in 1986. Now this is what blew my mind. He whipped himself into shape to run a two nineteen twelve Chicago marathon. Good for 26th place. Two nineteen twelve. It's fucking crazy. Like, if you break 220, you can qualify for the Olympic trials as an American. So, that's something to think about. And then, in 1991, two years after I raced him, seemingly out of the blue, he won a half marathon in Austin, Texas in 105-06, beating Bill Rogers, who used to be, uh, I mean, he was one of the greats. He's won Boston, I mean, how many times? I mean, half a dozen but a 105 half marathon, that's like a, it's about a 458 pace per mile. So check it out. In general, though, the arc of his life was tragic between 1986 and 1993. He cycled in and out of various rehab centers. He incensed many who cared for him, including um, Sundland, his uh, agent, who in 1987 told a reporter he is still a consuming alcoholic. He's just treading water. The situation is not going to revolve itself. You've got a shell of a former person. He lived in New York, Boston, Portland, Eugene, Las Vegas, and Albuquerque. At one point in the early 90s, Rono even spent six months living on the streets of Salt Lake City. I wondered where all my friends were, he says. I wondered where were all my friends from when I was running. But it's remarkable that Anyway, long story short, now this article is written in 2016, I believe. Let's see. No, excuse me. 2007. Oh, okay. So a ways back. But uh, this was, okay, on the precipice, on the eve of him. Let's see. Doo -doo -doo -ba -doo -ba. He was uh, trying the. Uh, he was about ready to try and break the. What looks to be the master's record for the mile. Uh, which looks to be in the fifth. Uh, let's see. Among runners, fifty-five and older, a man. Who last year ran a 4:46? Uh, but the and then okay, so 55-year-old Henry Rona was far, far beefier than anyone else in the field at 5'8", 171. So this guy's 5'8", now he's 171. This was now 14 years ago, 15 years ago. But but his running his running weight was probably about 130 135 so he's a little pudgy still but this is a guy in the spring and summer of 78 he accomplished a feat unequaled before or since in track and field history in a span of just 81 days he broke four world records in the 3,000 meters the 3,000 meters steeplechase the 5,000 and then the 10,000 meters so his goal Improbably to break the 55 to 59 age group world record for the mile, which was 440 set by set 30 years ago by Australian Jack Ryan. Damn, that's an old record. But it was just fascinating because here we were talking about alcohol, my days back, back in the day running, kind of avoiding having a good alcohol-free night. But then the next day, so I pull up the news the very next day, and this is just weird, okay? But shout out to Chiara D'Amato, 37-year-old American woman, American runner, who became the fastest American to run a marathon in Houston just last Sunday. Recording a, uh, recording a time of 2.19.12. The same time that Rono ran. Back in 
whatever it was, 86. 21912 though. And I'll repeat it. If you break 220, you will qualify for the men's Olympic trials marathon. Yes. Man, that's fast. That's so fucking fast. But shout out to Kira D'Amato. She broke uh, Dina Castor's uh, American record, which unofficially was, they're saying, 2.20.36. So they must not have given Dina Castor credit for the 2.19.36 that she ran in London in 2006. Dina Castor, whose maiden name is Dina Drazen, was a, uh, she was a phenom. She went to Agora Hills in California and just, just fucking skull fucked everybody. Just ran away from all of her competition in high school. She was uh, two years younger than me, but I remember watching her in high school. And now she's a former American record holder in the marathon. So, but Kiara Diamato beat even her actual they probably didn't give her the credit for the 21936 because uh, sometimes they they'll take a mark away from you if it's not a point to point course if it's a loop course for whatever reason they got weird rules for these records in the marathon because they're run on roads and not tracks so it's hard to kind of but Dina Drossen, or Dina Castor, rather, was the uh, bronze medalist in the 2004 marathon. And then she got three silvers in the World Cross Country Championships and two bronzes in the team competition. So she was a savage. But this this girl, Chiara Diamato, hey, good for her, man. 219.12, that is stupid fast. But... I don't know, I just thought it was a weird correlation between going up to Poor Reds when being the last time I was there was like, I was 10, and that was about the same age Henry Rono got his teeth knocked out to prevent lockjaw, and then I ran against Henry Rono back in 89, and then Henry Rono had just finished a couple years earlier running 219.12, and now this woman, Chiara Diamato, runs the same exact time in the Houston Marathon to break the women's... American record in the marathon who was who replaced the old record holder of which whom I used to watch race when I was in high school I don't know it's a crazy world out there it's a crazy world but moving on as a novelty and getting away from the spectacle that is the marathon I'm gonna pick back up where I left off last week okay if, just for Shits and giggles, right? We're going to talk about... We're going to pick up where we... Uh, I left off at Ocho Cinco, 85, 85, the great 85s, like James Lofton and so forth, but 84 now. Well, let's talk about years, too, okay? So 84 was also the year of the Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. That was... Uh, let's see, what happened? Carl Lewis had a big... Had a big Olympic Games... Um, let's see, Joan Benoit won the marathon, the very first women's marathon, which is so weird, 84, that was the first women's marathon, that they were, they were uh, allowing women to run the marathon, in 84, I mean, seriously, um, let's see, what else, oh yeah, and 84, whose jersey was 84, Randy Moss, See, probably the he was probably the best eighty four. Let's see, Sterling Sharp and Shannon Sharp, the Sharp brothers. Sterling came around. He came and went. I think before Shannon did. Shannon kind of had all the glory. He had the, the two Super Bowl rings. Of course, he had John Elway, but Sterling Sharp was actually a better receiver. Um, he was. Uh, let's see, he had the streak for like most hundred. Most consecutive, I think, 100-yard game 
consecutive 100-yard games, I believe. Yeah, he had some crazy streak like that. But anyway, I think he was more talented than Shannon, but Shannon must have been the workhorse. He was probably like a harder worker. Sterling, I think he became injury-prone and whatnot, but let's see. Then you got to go. Let's see, what else happened in 84? Mm, it's kind of the onset of... It's kind of where MTV kind of had its... Kind of found its groove with Van Halen and the Talking Heads and Prince and Madonna and Cindy Lauper and Devo. Are we not men? We are Devo. Are we not? Are we not men? Devo. As weird, I'll put it. Oh, there's another. There's another guy. Another MTV guy. The right place at the right time. Like Dire Straits and Sting. The Police. Journey, but okay. Eighty-three. Who are great? Who are the great eighty-threes? Eighty-three. Ted Hendricks, that great Oakland Raider, uh, Hall of Famer. Let's see. Wes Welker. That guy was hard. I mean, he took a lot of hits though, and he did. I don't know. Hopefully, man, he's uh, he's doing okay these days. But that guy took a. He had a lot of concussions. Eighty-three. Uh, what happened in 83? That was the World Championships. Track and Field World Championships. Rob D. Costello winning the marathon. Uh, let's see. 83. Hmm, 83. 83. Well, I was 12 years old. Where was I? I was living in 12. I was right before. I think that was over in Fair Oaks. I was in Fair Oaks. Yeah, I think I was pretending I was an Indiana Jones at that point. Maybe. Maybe I was just coming out of it at that point. Because I wanted to be a secret agent pilot, archaeologist, you know, ghost hunter, uh, wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks. So, uh, you know, kind of a renaissance man. I wanted to be Chris Christopherson, I think, when I was 12. And... uh, so that was 83, 82. Who were the great 82s? 82, 82, John Stallworth. Yes. That's it, John Stallworth. Um, the great Steelers receiver. Um, let's see. Uh, just made some ridiculous catches in that Super Bowl with uh, against the Rams speaking of the Rams um, 82 82 who are you 82 um, Ozzie Newsome okay alright I think he's the did he become the GM for the Ravens now um do, 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 do. Um, num, 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 num. 81, that's a good number. That's a good... Uh, what happened in 81? 81. 1981. I was 10 years old. What was I doing? 81. Great, right? That would have been 5th grade. Mrs. Lofgren. She kind of liked me. You know, because I was... I showed her very artistic side and she was she was down with artists and so forth she could see she could see the talent 81 let's see Tori Holt from the greatest show on turf the Los Angeles Rams Calvin Johnson Megatron I think that guy really is a transformer um Terrell Owens little alligator arms great receiver hard worker when he goes across the middle, though, he gets them alligator arms. Um, when you go to 80, though, now 80, there's a lot of good 80s. There's Jerry Rice, of course, the greatest of all time. But he had to beat somebody's records, and the record he beat, Steve Largent, the Seattle Seahawks, great. I had his had his poster up on my wall, my bedroom wall. He was, he was the man. Uh, Kellen Winslow, another good 80. 
great San Diego Charger. Um, one of the uh, one of the main components in Air Coriel, the uh, the receiving core Don Coriel. Man, that was a that was a crazy that was a crazy ass team, San Diego Chargers. Back in the day, late seventies, early eighties, got Dan Fouts, Charlie Joyner, Chuck Muncie, Kellen Winslow, John Jefferson. Man, no wonder Dan Fouts had just was just had ridiculous numbers. So that was what was that eighty? Um, I don't. I think I don't, this countdown's kind of bugging me. I can't really focus. I don't know. I'm thinking too much about that game. That was insane. But uh, but all in all, it was a pretty good weekend. Staying busy. Trying to stay ahead of the curve. Started out early Friday. And uh, Friday was a little more forgiving. Didn't have to do the, uh, the long stretch down south. Ended up going back up into Grass Valley. Ended up in the militia country. And then started out early, but didn't really. Um, went up to Folsom. Had to go to Woodland. Uh, seemed like I was on the phone all day Friday, too, just talking to the kids. My buddy Mike. Briefly talked to my mom. She was, she was busy, but and then Saturday back at it, back up to Grass Valley, Auburn, and but uh, just been constant, just just a steady, constant. I I don't really know what to do with myself when I, you know, when I've got a little gap. I'm, I'm trying to now that now now that. I'm I'm starting to figure that well Sundays aren't necessarily where it's at because of these crackheads and uh so I think we're going to I think we'll start breaking up that monotony and heading out of town I'm going to you know it's one thing to just take comfort in a routine and routines are good and they establish kind of a precedent for getting you know making sure things are advancing in your life but at the same time and every now and then you got to step out of that routine. Jesus. Start wearing a groove into something, man. And that's, that's, that's when I start, I don't know. It, 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 it just doesn't, it doesn't seem natural. You know, we weren't, we weren't, we weren't made to do that. We weren't made to just do the same routine, like you know, on the same, you know, being stuck in the same, same little, wheel, a little hamster wheel. It's not human. But nevertheless, you know, you just gotta just bide your time. Assess the situation. And when when it all seems about the right time, take off for Tahoe. Dun 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 that's right, we're headed for Tahoe. We're gonna take our uh, we're going to take my producer daughter. We're going to take her up there. And uh, it's her birthday coming up. And uh, it's been a crazy winter. We had, uh, you know, a lot of ups and downs this winter. And uh, every year it seems like just to survive in December is enough. And then you get, I don't know, you get a little wacky January. And then you get into football, the playoffs. And then you got to survive that emotional roller coaster. So what's their, what's, what's, you know, there doesn't seem to be, there's like this, uh, it's like a, you know, the minute, the minute football's over, all you got, all you got to look out at this is this gloomy January, like, and this, you know, we're in California, you know, this is, this is the most hated state and the most hated country in all the world. And so the reality of it, though, is, like, it was 66 degrees today. And that bummed me out, you know? Like, I don't even have to, I don't even have to face, like, 
like real hardship, like real like weather. Like this is even real. This is like a. It's like living in a snow globe, man. It's like it's fake. Like. Uh, it's uh. Like there's no depressing like, you know, back in like in Scotland, where you see, t- like twenty minutes of sun, in December. It's not. It's no. We got sun. We got sun all day. Like it was hot today. You know, and all we gotta do is drive up an hour and a half from here and you're in Lake Tahoe. It's one, you know, it's one of the most, you know, fun, outdoorsy places in the world. People fly in from all over the world just to go an hour and a half away. If you go three hours south of here, two and a half, three hours, you're in Yosemite, which is just as stunning, if not more stunning, than Tahoe. And people were literally flying in from Germany and France and Japan and Trinidad, Tobago, and the former Yugoslavia, just to see half them. And it's only like it's less. I can get there in less than three hours, you know. So, but here we sit after football, post football. I got the post football depression, post football blues. But next week, next week we got, oh boy, Niners, Rams, Bengals, Chiefs. What good could come of that? If any, can any good come of that? <sighs> Just got a couple more weeks of this mess. A couple more weeks of this. So, I'm going to cut out for now. I just, I just don't have anything to add right now. All right, so I'll just have to say that's the podcast for now. I'll talk at you later. Arrivederci, babies.